Hi, everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show, and thank you very much. This show is sponsored by Anything Up, when you need another pair of eyes, and by Simple Contacts. Easy, fast, reliable. That's it. I'm done with it. I'm done with society. I'm done with governments. I'm done with taxes. I'm done with everything. It's just driving me crazy. I'm going to go make a floating island and live by my own rules and just use crypto. Yo, yo, this is Matthew Aaron of Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. And today we have a company that is doing just that. They are making floating islands in paradise that use cryptocurrency. I don't even know how to explain this, but that's why we have on Randy, Hankin, and Mark Collins to talk about it. But before we go into that conversation, please go to Crypto101Podcast.com. That's Crypto101Podcast.com. Follow us on our social media. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Send us an email. Say what's up. I apologize if it takes a couple days to get back to you. Been really busy lately. Also, when you're joining the Facebook group, please remember to answer the questions. Those questions are there to know a little bit about you and to make sure that you will not spam the group. It's very important to us to know that our group is going to be spam-free, fraud-free, and scam-free. So, without further ado, let's learn about living on a tropical floating island with cryptocurrency. We'll see you after the show. Mark Collins and Randy Henkin, welcome to Crypto 101. Thanks for having Thanks us. For having this us. is Randy. This is Mark. <laughs> Hi, guys. Mark and Randy, you guys are doing something really special. You're incorporating blockchain technology. You are incorporating technology that a lot of people don't even know about, and that is building floating habitats. And on those habitats, the transactions, the spending, your day-to-day life will be using digital assets or cryptocurrency. Is that correct? What I like to say is that we're trying to create decentralization in the world of atoms, where most blockchain decentralization happens in the world of bits. So we're trying to create floating communities where people will have enough autonomy over themselves because they live on a floating vessel that they can sail from one location to the other. People are going to have to wrap their heads around this and imagine and probably even go to our website to see pictures of this. Mm -hmm. But our big idea is that thousands and then millions of people will live on these floating cities. And when they're living on these cities and they can rearrange their homes and rearrange their cities, they'll have more choice than they have currently in how cities are arranged and we can decentralize. Excellent. Awesome. Let's first go into a little bit about you guys. We'll do a little bit of history, and then we're going to go into these floating habitats, how they're built, the tech behind it. Then let's go into the economies of the habitats and maybe the future. What do you think? Sounds perfect to me. So, Randy, if could you please just introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. So my name is Randy Henkin, and I'm one of uh, five managing directors of Blue Frontiers, but I've been the executive director of the Seasteading Institute. Think of the word homesteading, but seasteading. Our big idea was we were going to go create nations at sea. So how can we start the very first floating cities with some autonomy to make it interesting for the people that want to pioneer seasteads? And I decided, why don't we try to do this instead of out in the open ocean? Let's do it near shore, behind a reef break or in a bay, someplace where we can basically build you know, large floating houses without having to build for the open ocean. And we get a deal with a host nation to allow us to have some autonomy. At the same time, my uh, good friend and, and colleague at the Seasteading Institute, Joe Quirk, who wrote the book about seasteading, realized that all these people who were attracted to seasteading had many different reasons. And they were bringing lots of technologies to the project that were interested in pioneering sustainable and important practices that can make humanity better in terms of how we, we fish, how we make energy, and how we survive rising seas. And we researched this project called the Floating City Project for several years. And eventually Mark, who is now our business partner, reached out to us from Tahiti and said, have you considered French Polynesia as a location for the first floating islands? And Mark invited us down to French Polynesia in 2016 
by 2017, uh, we signed a memorandum of understanding with the president. And from there, we launched Blue Frontiers. And I should let Mark uh, tell his part of that story. Mark, you were the Minister of Tourism of French Polynesia from 2007 to 2008. That's interesting in itself. Mark, could you please just tell us a little about yourself? Uh, thanks, Matthew. Yeah, that was a short period in my uh, in my career. I'd mainly been in uh, in the private sector, but uh, in French Polynesia for many years. So my family's from there on my mother's side. I spent more than half my life in Tahiti. So as Randy mentioned, I reached out to him and Joe in, in May. And I had read, I think, the piece in Wired magazine. Uh, there had been a lot of coverage about the project. As Randy mentioned, the idea was to find a host nation. And that spoke to me because in 2009, 2010, I had launched an ISP, uh, so Tahiti's first uh, challenger uh, internet service provider in Tahiti. And the reason we launched it is because there was a submarine cable, finally, a uh, submarine cable connecting uh, Tahiti to Hawaii and therefore to, to the backbone of the internet. We we're no longer just doing satellite internet. And I figured that with this cable, with our location, the fact that we've got uh, a very friendly population, friendly government, I figured this could be a good place to propose for, for the Seastain Institute. Uh, Randy put together a team. I think uh, nine people came down. We went around the islands, met the government, and uh, basically uh, got everybody excited. And there's a number of, of aspects of the Floating City Project that are fascinating. The one that caught my attention and also, I, I believe, a good part of the government, and specifically the president, uh, was about sea level rise adaptation. When we came down there and we're saying we want a place where we can, you know, try an innovative society where we can, you know, in large part govern ourselves. It's not that that was super interesting to, you know, the government or French Polynesia. What they're interested in is what technologies can you bring here to help us be resilient to rising seas? You know, what's the economies that you can bring here? And since they had something that we wanted and we had something that they wanted, it allowed us to come together and make this uh, this partnership. You guys said a lot right there. So. Let's actually back up a little bit and start at the beginning of the project. I would assume that this is the beginning, is finding a place to make these seasteads. What goes into finding a host nation? What is the conversations to be had when you say, hey, how are you doing? What do you guys do? Oh, we're going to build this big floating island over there. And they're like, uh, what do you mean? <laughs> so how do you go? And then once you guys have your floating island, your seastead, and you want to pitch this to, say, other governments... What is the process and what are they looking for and what are you looking for out of a out of a location? I would even go back even further to the beginning just to make it really apropos for your audience. In 2008, when the CSEN Institute was founded, is the same time that Satoshi released the Bitcoin white paper into the world. And in 2011, when I joined the CSEN Institute, that was the first time I ever heard of Bitcoin. And around 2012, the CSEN Institute took a donation from one of our, our donors of, uh, of 100 Bitcoins. And at the time, Bitcoin was $20. That was worth about $2,000. And, uh, and I proceeded to sell uh, all of that Bitcoin when, you know, a few months later at $50, thinking I had done a really good job. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. But in 2017, after we started the company Blue Frontiers, that same donor wanted to invest in Blue Frontiers. And he invested a quarter million dollars into right Blue on. Frontiers. Right on. And Bitcoin was $2,500 at the time. So his investment was 100 Bitcoins. So between 2012 and 2017, the difference in 100 Bitcoins was that significant. But to me, what's really interesting is that seasteading is part of this zeitgeist of people who are interested in creating a decentralized world, who are interested in, in, in pushing forward this next sort of economy. And if I were to believe in some kind of mysticism of Bitcoin, I think that we both came into the world at the same time. It, there couldn't be a better time for us to develop seasteads now that there's all this uh, new wealth amongst these kind of people who appreciate this kind of society and governance. And uh, it, it wasn't my intention to evade your question about how do you get started, you know, with a uh, you know going to a host nation. But it's important to to recognize that we started even before we thought we needed a host nation. Mm -hmm. But when we realized that we couldn't go to the open seas and just build our own nation, and we had to have a relationship, we did years of research and we, we investigated different countries that could become potential host nations, what the customer is like, what does the customer want in a seastead, 
And, you know, what's the engineering for building the very first seastead? So we've been working on this for a long time. You know, French Polynesia is a great location. I, I give it a 95% chance that it'll work out there, and Mark can speak to that more in a moment. We've also identified 51 other nations that we think are uh, suitable for having to be in our host nation. And, and the major criteria is that, one, is a, a relatively nimble government. It'd be very difficult to do this with a very big, laborious government like uh, maybe the United States or Russia. You're trying to get up there and ask them for, you know, to create a special economic zone for us. That'd be very difficult. Mm-hmm. So working with a smaller nation is easier. Two, we need to have protected waters where we're not going to get destroyed by hurricanes. Mm-hmm. Three, we need to be, you know, someplace where it's safe. We don't want to be in pirated waters. Mm-hmm. And uh, four, we want to be, we need to be able to, to access the internet. This is just super important. So as Mark, you know, mentioned the sub ring cable a second ago, it's a, it's a pretty important issue because there's uh, several South Pacific islands that would be, you know, suitable for us, except they don't have good internet. And since the major base of people interested in, in pioneering the first seastead are people who are knowledge workers, people who trade in cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. uh, we simply can't be on, you know, satellite internet. So the fact that there's a, uh, a cable running uh, to Tahiti and then out to the other islands makes uh, Tahiti a suitable location. I said it was a 95% chance that we'll end up in in French Polynesia, but um, we've always wanted to expand beyond one nation. And on the, you know, that 5% chance that it doesn't work out in French Polynesia, we are looking for other locations. We're working with our partners to run a contest to inspire entrepreneurs to get us other agreements with other governments uh, where we could have seasteads. The ultimate winner, somebody that can take us all the way up into a government and get us an agreement, could win $100,000 from us, as well as being a business partner on a future seastead. Cool. So that goes on to a lot of what you're looking for into a country, to put a seastead there or have a partnership. But what is the government looking for? Why is this advantageous for them? Islands, whether it's in the Pacific, the Caribbean, but islands worldwide, historically have been technologically underserved. We don't necessarily get the best technology that uh, the rest of the world is is deploying. And being small, um, it, it is an advantage if we can get really good tech. And the fact that the Seastain Institute was started in Silicon Valley and had access in a very large network, international network, not only of supporters, volunteers, but also of technologies uh, was very appealing to the government. So basically, all of the technologies that we need on the floating island are also useful on the regular islands. Uh, I'll give one example. Uh, we're going to be doing floating solar panels. Well, you know, Tahiti is also interested in, in solar panels for some of the outer islands. We're interested in any sort of system that allows us to treat water on board with, without having any effluent, any gray water or black water in the lagoon. So basically all mm. of our environmental approaches are interesting. The other thing is, I guess the focus on, on sea level rise, our president in 2015, so a year before we approached the government, had made a big announcement that led to language being included at the COP21 mm-hmm. on the importance of oceans. So French Polynesia with other leaders in the Pacific, actually it's a group called the Polynesian Leaders Group, did play a role in bringing attention uh, of the plight of smaller islands uh, with sea level rise. So if by accepting and by working with Blue Frontiers, you can attract uh, researchers, scientists, and just just attention. And, and here's another one that for me, uh, and especially as, as a former government minister was important, is brain drain. We suffer like a lot of islands when our young uh, students go overseas, go to Stanford, Harvard, and have some great educations and then don't come back because right. they don't have right. the opportunities. So reversing brain drain and having a project that just people can get behind, can get excited. I mean, it, there's a lot of hope around the fact that okay, we know as Polynesians that we're not about to stop the water, right? We're, we're not going to go down the path of Miami and buy you know, half a billion dollars worth of pumps. That just doesn't seem mm-hmm. you know, sustainable. Uh, so you need to adapt. We're, we're a people, the Polynesians, that have always adapted throughout the last thousand years. We've sailed across the largest ocean in the world. And if it's a matter of adapting with nature, we'll adapt. But this is just one very interesting solution is, is to build your infrastructure on the water while taking care and being a good steward of, uh, of the ocean. I lived in a Big Island, Hawaii. I went to University of Hawaii, Manoa. And when I think that from an island point of view, I see that you will have or invite a lot of well, foreigners, non-native to the islands, over probably rich, affluent people to the island and maybe use the resources or just have this floating island off of, off of the main island somewhere. And how are the locals going to view that? How, are, how is everybody – the government can make the deals, but then the locals are going to be looking at it like, what the hell is this? 
Is that even is that a concern or or not? Well, there, there's very very important ways we we've dealt with. One, you you really need to understand what's in it for that particular community. And you're right, uh, the government can say uh, this is good for the country as a whole, but then the community where you're going to end up going to uh, needs to really understand and and be on board. So one of the things we did uh, several months ago is is announce that this isn't an enclave of a bunch of wealthy Silicon Valley uh, billionaires. That's not at all the the project. And one one of the very tangible ways is to include the Polynesians and include them not as uh, employees of, of the floating island, but actually on the same level as, as everybody else. So on the pilot, we've got 200 to 300 people that are going to be living on it. And everybody agreed that we should prioritize 25% of that capacity for Polynesians. I think that could be very interesting in terms of, you know, exchanging experience. If you lived on the big island, you know that the locals usually know a lot about their island and it's good to keep, uh, keep an eye on what the locals do. Right, exactly. All right, so we went through this. We have our host nation. We have permission to put the islands there. We have our mix of people who are going to live on the island. Now let's talk about daily life. Let's talk about the island itself, the tech, how they're going to transact, what's going on in the island. You said, said that you're going to be using solar or you're going to recycle your water. You're going to do all these things to make this like a little ecosystem so you can just live on the seastead. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, one thing I think we should do for you, your listeners who it's probably just hard to imagine what these guys are talking about. They haven't seen a picture. Let me describe it a little bit. Perfect. So what we want to build is these modular floating islands where they connect. Like Maybe imagine rectangles and pentagons like a jigsaw puzzle to get pieced together. Mm-hmm. And each one might be about 25 by 25 square meters. And they could have two or three stories uh, buildings on top of them. And those could house up to 30 people a piece. Some might have, you know, single family residencies and some might be, uh, you know, a dormitory style living situation with hotels or, you know, Airbnb. What we can do, you know, once we uh, raise the funding is that we can build the first few and then we can sell more and and as the city uh grows and changes we can adjust and 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 move from location to location or spread out and uh and try to adjust people's well-being so these Um, these little pieces move then yeah we plan to anchor them not with an anchor that drags across the bottom of the floor but some kind of tension line that holds them in place right but you certainly can detach them and move them around so they're they're literally floating you know this is really a key to our technology is that we're able to move so i bought my little island i kind of dock up there i'm hanging out a couple months goes by my neighbor is just an ass and i gotta move i gotta move to the other side of the floating island i could do that you could do that. Your neighbor is one of these jerks that just plays <laughs> terrible music all the time and you just don't want to be with him and you move to the other side of the island and then your neighbor is like, I don't want to be with this guy and he moves to the other side of the island and then eventually the guy with the really bad music is stuck by himself right, right. and he has to move his <laughs> island away and he's not bothering anybody and he's happy because now he can play his really bad music and all face by it away himself. from everybody else. Exactly. Right on. Yeah. Cool, cool. So how do we build these islands? We build them most likely out of concrete. And people, concrete, that doesn't float, but it actually does. It's just a matter of displacement. And concrete's a really good material because we can put it into the seawater, into salt water, for hundreds of years. And that's what we want to build. We're trying to build long-standing, sustainable floating islands that are good for the environment. And you're there. You're living there. And it's not going to be there for your kids and your grandchildren. So it's a big concrete casing. And then inside of that, we put high-tech, seaworthy technologies, and we install black water systems and gray water systems that don't pollute the lagoon. And we're conscious about the materials we use and the energy we create and the beauty if we're in the tropics like Polynesia is that there's plenty of sun and there's plenty, plenty of rain. We'll be able to you know, have, have sufficient energy uh, and enough energy to run our servers and to mine our crypto. And the beauty of today's world is that because of the internet, we can stay connected even though Tahiti or Polynesia or these other South Pacific islands are relatively isolated around the world. Right. I guess the obvious question now is we're going to go into the daily life of these islands in a little bit, but why islands? I mean, why not just like a patch of land in Montana somewhere? Why build an island? Well, you know, a patch land in Montana is uh, still part of the U.S. government in the state of Montana, and you can't, if you buy into it and you get stuck to it and you get that bad neighbor, well, you're not going to pick up that piece of land. So at best, you've got to sell that piece of land and, and, and go elsewhere. 
we're really just part of a movement of people that care about the oceans and care about this philosophy of floating. There's really two things that Blue Frontiers is trying to address. And one is innovation and governance, and the other is innovation in floating technologies. What we're doing is we're going through the front door, working with the government, letting them know, you know from the beginning. These are our requirements, and we're being uh, reasonable. We're not asking for something unreasonable. We'd like to be able to be in charge of our own economic affairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to be in charge of the kind of regulations that aren't going to damage things around us. We're a bunch of peaceful volunteerists. We understand that we're not going to have our own criminal code. Uh, we appreciate that we can dial in. You know, We don't have to build our own army or anything like that. Uh, we don't want to hurt anybody around us, and we know we can't pollute their country. I mean, it's their country. We're not going to destroy their lagoons, but let us try this other stuff. And and what I want to see is the innovations that are built on top of this, because what excites me is what human potential can be unleashed once we have more innovation and governance. And, And one of the things I talk about a lot is that how important rule of law is to people's well-being. And we can measure that in countries that have good rule of law, there's better well-being. And we want to be part of an evolutionary process that creates better rule of law and, and more innovative rule of law. So right, I can imagine on our seasteads using blockchain-based governance, measuring people's well-being using a hybrid artificial intelligence uh, system of decision-making and providing better decision processes where instead of us all having to you know, take time to try to vote for something we don't understand, we can let the technologies that are available to us bring more happiness and more well-being to the people that are in our cities. And now a word from our sponsor, Anything Up. Hey everyone, it's Anything Up, a blockchain project from the Netherlands. I hope you're enjoying Crypto 101 podcast. We've been developing a platform over the last year that we are very passionate about and we wanted to share with you. With the Anything app, you can quickly connect with someone you don't know yet to get help from them over the phone. Some of them will help for free, while others might charge a small price. You can call, chat, video call. Don't know how to fix something? Cool. Just video chat the handyman and ask. Don't know which pants to buy? It's all right. Video chat and show a stylist. Do you have a quick tax question regarding your crypto? Sure. Just ring someone for two minutes instead of Googling for hours. Taxes, business development, food, mental health, furniture, you name it. Whenever Google is too slow or you need another set of eyes on something, that's the Anything app. With Anything app, people save time. People solve problems. They make money. They feel great after helping someone or feel great after being helped. It's a transparent and fun source of income that's available to anyone. Check out the website, anything.app, and join the token presale, which should be live right around now. Thank you very much, and we're looking forward to disrupting communication together. And now a word from our sponsor, Simple Contacts. Yo, yo, this is Matthew Aaron, and I live in Taiwan, as you guys know. So when Simple Contacts reached out to me and said, hey, do you want to try our service? I was like, ooh, I live in Taiwan. And they're like, oh, and I was like, I'm a contact where I would love to try it, but I got somebody for you. I'm going to send you Danny Amsalem from Decryptionary. And so he tried the service. After trying the service, we talked on the phone. He said it was easy. Went online, did a vision test, cost him 20 bucks, renewed his prescription, then found the exact contacts he always buys and got a couple boxes sent to his house in a couple days. Just a reminder that this vision test is not a replacement for your full eye exam. But if you need some contacts quick, go on there and boom, get it done. This is a very easy and amazing way to get contacts for the summer, for your baseball games, your football games, your camping trips, or just a drive in the convertible, and you're sitting at your desk right now dreaming of outside and saying, I don't want to go to the store, Simple Contacts. It has been rated over 3,000 times, five stars on the App Store, designed by doctors, and, well, you get $30 off by using my promo code. So give it a shot. That's simplecontacts.com slash crypto simplecontacts.com slash crypto promo code crypto to get 30 bucks off check it out i I guess i'm still confused um a little bit and i think now we're going to bridge over into daily life on one of these islands 
And my confusion is you just said that you don't want to have a patch of land in Montana because it's still part of the United States government. You fall under the laws of Montana and what have you. At the same time, you said that you are going to be law-abiding to Tahitian laws. You're going to, you probably use their police force and other aspects, correct? So that means that you are following law and in, in participating into the French Polynesian system, but you don't want to in the state. So I guess there's a... What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details clear divide of what laws you want to follow and what you don't want to follow and then once that divide is made what makes you not evolve from your island to just say hey then i'm going to do my own thing and we're just going to have all kinds of islands of our own economies that are separate from the other islands because you know i don't want to follow laws i guess where's the part where you guys are mutually uh, working with a government and where's the part where you are your own thing it's an evolutionary process, Matthew. It isn't binary. It isn't we get it all or we don't get it all. If you look at the history of special economic zones, if you look at Shenzhen and Hong Kong, the government can test certain policies that they, they're not willing to do countrywide. So when we first presented this to the government of French Polynesia, we were talking to some of the top ministers and they got it. And that was part of the interest for the host nation is that some of these policies are difficult if you wanted to change the labor code. For example, French Polynesia's labor code is very similar to France's labor code, which is quite restrictive. So if you said, if the minister of, of labor in Tahiti said, hey, we're changing our labor code from one day to the other, it, it'd be very painful and there'd be people out, out in the streets screaming. But if you were to say, let's set up this little zone with the Blue Frontiers and we're going to test this, it's geographically limited. It's limited to very, to very few people, but we can watch and learn. So that's that's one of the reasons why a government is willing to forego certain rules. But it's an evolutionary process. I mean, the ultimate goal is to go you know, out, outside of the special economic zone of any country and be in the open sea. But you, we can't make it out there if we haven't tested all of these technologies, whether they're social technologies, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's about energy, water. So mm -hmm. that's why we need. Uh, so it's, it's just the first step, if you wish. It's a baby step to start in a protected water, but ultimately it's to go to the open seas. Okay. So you just said uh, you wanted to go outside of the economic zone. This is the main goal is to go to the open seas. I guess I am not understanding the motivation still of the people living on this island. What is the motivation? Is it, we said a lot of good words. We respect the ocean. We recycle. We do all these things. But what is the other things that are, are driving people to these islands? There, there's two, as, as Randy mentioned. One is uh, the fact that people aren't necessarily happy with the country they were born into or the passport that they carry and the rules of the country that they live in. So you're seeing more and more of these movements worldwide where people feel more in tune with these international tribes. And you're seeing more and more 
people that are wanting to live together in certain types of new societies, but without necessarily uh, the boundaries that, so it's, it, there's a movement around that. Now, mm -hmm. uh, to your question about why islands and why not do it, and, and I got this question a lot uh, in Tahiti. Tahitians are quite pragmatic. And they said, well, why don't you just bring us all that cool tech and we'll just deploy it on our main island. Why don't we do that? Mm -hmm. uh, why create a new one? So the other aspect then is is sea level rise. And that's one that uh, mainstream media is not really talking about and uh, not enough, at, at least in my uh, for my taste. The reality for a small country like French Polynesia is, is that one third of our islands and a lot of these islands are inhabited will disappear or at least will be uninhabitable by 2050. So this is the latest data. So this is really just uh, an absolute disaster. I mean, if, if you can imagine, um, you know, 32 years from now, you're going to have to figure out where to move people and they're very attached. So Kiribati is uh, the poster child of, of this issue because they actually only have 33 atolls. They don't have high islands. And um, they have one that's kind of a high island, but not it's not not sufficient. So what they're doing is that they're actually buying land in Fiji. So the previous president, prime minister, uh, bought land in Fiji, and uh, New Zealand now has a visa, a special visa for climate refugees. So when you speak to their prime minister, this is a real issue to them. They lose their sovereignty. We've never had a, a situation like this in in history. So having at least the hope that this technology will evolve in the next 10, 20 years to where humanity is going to, I mean, that that's the real ambition is humanity living peacefully and sustainably on the ocean. And we're talking about food production. We're talking about uh, about everything, a new way of farming on, on the ocean, algae, uh, maybe growing steaks from, from protein. Uh, you know, as Mark is saying, he's speaking from the, the from the viewpoint of the Polynesian, and I, I'm not a Polynesian. I'm, you know, born in the United States. Uh, I'm talking to you from New York right now where we've been attending Consensus, you know, one of the largest conferences on blockchain and, and cryptocurrencies. And I've been walking around this, you know, 9,000-person conference wearing my Blue Frontiers T-shirt. And every little while, somebody walks up to me and they see my shirt. And they're like, hey, you're with Blue Frontiers. I'm totally into this. I totally want to come live on one of these islands. I'm, you're doing the most exciting project in cryptocurrency and blockchain space. How do I get involved? And, and what's cool about it is our, you know, our first project is designed for hundreds and then there will be thousands. And we don't have to convince you know, the entire world to come move to floating islands. We're serving a specific market of people for the billions of people who live in places that that want better rules and want more opportunity and maybe even they're, they're in places that with pretty decent rules i mean i don't want to complain as an american i mean it's you know pretty good here compared to elsewhere in the world but there's many americans who feel that they want new opportunities and how they innovate in their governance mm -hmm. and i just don't don't believe that i could get that started you know be, being a u.s citizen you, you can't take me to Montana and get me a plot of land and all of a sudden have innovative governance. But the Polynesians are brave enough to say, let's work with you and see what can happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's go into, I, we talked a lot about government. We talked a lot about uh, the ideology in, in those aspects. Let's go into living on the island. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's going to be like to live there, how the day-to-day -day life is going to be? That's going to be part of the the excitement, and a lot of the people that are signing up for this. Um, that that is the big question: is uh, what what is a society like this? Uh, if you want to call it that, it's small, it's two hundred people, but how do we live together? So, what nationalities? Uh, uh, you know, do we share energy? Uh, do does each person pay his fair share? And, and I can paint, a, but I think very exciting. I sometimes feel funny when I share this vision. What, what's my life going to be like when I move to the first seastead? Well, I have my bedroom is underwater, and I got a picture window of the lagoon. So I get to see the fish swimming by as I sleep, and they're looking at me like I'm the aquarium. <laughs> uh, I get up in the morning. I do my yoga on the deck. Um, if the wind is up, I go out for a kite surf. Mm -hmm. uh, then I probably eat some fish from an aquaculture pen, uh, eat some seaweed as well. I'll probably get on my computer, check my crypto portfolio to make sure that things are going okay and I'm not too stressed out today. Interact with my neighbors. Uh, and then at, at night as the, as the sun sets, we'll be able to look out at the beautiful sky, sit around you know, on our rooftops you know, just great conversations with people from all over the world, you know, as uh, the people that are attracted to the project are a uh, brilliant, forward-thinking kinds of people that you always have a good conversation. I always have a good conversation when I get down to talk with these people. 
in some ways the um, the situation will be drastically different as we're floating and figuring out these technologies and making sure they work and experimenting with blockchain governance. In other ways, it's going to be uh, a lot the same, just with awesome people in a beautiful place. Right on, right on. So who's working at the 7-Eleven? What's their life yeah. like? I mean, I, mean, I, I like the, uh, the yoga, and I like when you're the a, a small village. You have so many companies, and when you're a big giant city, you have a lot more companies, right? Mm-hmm. The beauty of uh, you know where we're choosing to be, there's regular shipments that come in. Um, you, you know, you probably don't need a Seven Eleven for for 300 people. You, you know, you need some kind of decision making system to to make sure you have enough supplies every week. I guess the um, question isn't about the amount of people, but I'm wondering where the average person is. Because you said yoga and all these good things and checking crypto portfolio. Well, not everybody has a crypto portfolio that doesn't make them worried. Where's the where's the person unlo- unloading those shipments living? Where's the where's the person that is maybe making your cocktail? What's the average person looking like on your island? And how are they transacting? How are they getting paid? What's their hours look like? Sure. So um, I don't know what average means. Um, I know that like any society, you it takes all shapes and sizes. And uh, in our society that we're preparing uh, is going to be as welcoming as we can of all shapes and sizes. And we're actively avoiding having a, a class system where some people are just servants and others are taken care of. I see the, the people who are involved so far. If I were to put a word on them, it's a, it's a duocracy. These are doers. I wouldn't necessarily call us collectivist, even though Mark might like to. But I would say that we're cooperating and we're volunteerist. Okay, cool. Excellent, excellent. And, and whoever whoever doesn't work at the 7-Eleven on his day of the week, uh, we send them off to the other side of the island. So, <laughs> so okay, so that's my question. I mean, and, and I'm not trying to, you know, be skeptical, but I, I am trying to understand what life is like because I guess we've all been to a resort on Hawaii, like Kona side, let's just say. You have, you know, but you go to a, res- a resort on the Kona side, right? You are paying a lot of money to stay in the resort. And the people that are working there are looking at you as like, oh, this person is paying a lot of money to stay at this resort. We work for them. But you just said, yeah, people are working on their days in 7-Eleven or unloading the docks or what have you. So this is everybody is doing their part. It's one system. uh, And it's a great question. And these are the sort of questions that our token holders and the people who will ultimately come here will have to answer. And that's that's what's exciting. I mean, how how does a society structure itself where you it's not about everybody is exactly equal? And how do you structure? We don't have a plan where people are coming from the main island. And I've seen that in some resorts and uh, where all of the workers come in at uh, seven in the morning and leave at, uh, at midnight and you've got this uh, the system. That's that's certainly not the, the vision. But we do have to figure out whether it's labor, whether it's uh, education. I mean, there's there's a number of things. And, and again, that's that's the exciting part. We've got two years at least between the engineering and the construction to figure out. And there are parts of our volunteer teams that are sitting down right now figuring out, OK, how do we how do we tackle this? And, and it's a fascinating, uh, fascinating questions. Randy, do you have anything to say to that? We're not here trying to centrally plan people's day-to-day lives. You know, we want to see what emerges. Right. You know, for us, it's a wonderful opportunity to experiment with this. I anticipate that at least in the first, you know, society, we'll have a lot of people to just do. Right. Right. Cool. Cool. Hey, that was exactly my question: is how are you going to, you know, manage the uh, involvement into the island? Because things are going to have to get done. The work is going to have to be done. The trash is going to have to be taken out, you know, and and who's going to be doing that? And just from my point of view, those are the interesting parts of your project is how is everybody's going to work together? Yeah. Thank you for answering that question. Yeah, sure. So what I wanted to mention I mean, is uh, we've got this this young team, uh, as I mentioned, in, in Tahiti that sits around also and thinks about how they're going to fit in. Uh, but I'll tell you what motivates them, because we, we've had all sorts of discussions as to why they, they want this. And one of the things is exposure to new ideas. Having a group of international thought leaders and just some really interesting people coming in is extremely stimulating for some of our youth. And for them to say, look, uh, I'm, I'm going to live on this island, do whatever it takes because I want to be exposed to these ideas and maybe participate in some of them. So basically, you get this idea that uh, the world is shifting, that uh, things are changing very rapidly. 
And uh, for small communities to be a part of that and and bring their contribution to this is, is very exciting. And I think the Polynesians will contribute a lot. If you think about the, the migration of Polynesians throughout the Pacific, they had to live on a canoe for months on end and get along. And, you know, I've been talking to some of the elders and trying to figure out what were the systems and what were the rituals and how did it work? These are thousand year old ways of thinking. And it's, it's going to be interesting to, to see how the two meet. Right on, right on. Would you mind if we go into some general questions? Please. Excellent. Who are some people you look up to in the crypto space right now? Personally, I've been in the crypto space for for many years and have had the opportunity to travel all around the world and and see how quickly it's grown. I'm just going to talk about the advisors we have on our team. We have a a guy named Yuri Lobinsitz who started uh, Syndicator, and he's a a brilliant guy out of Russia, out of St. Petersburg who's interested in artificial intelligence. And I had the opportunity to spend three weeks with him living together in Tahiti. He uh, gave us advice and we've now have a partnership with his company, Syndicator. And we're planning how we can use their artificial intelligence uh, hybrid technology for decision-making on the future of floating islands. We have a gentleman named uh, Daniel Nagy, who's um, an Ethereum developer, uh, cryptographer, uh, who's really helped us understand the power of Ethereum and the smart contract. We have a, a partnership with Zencash and, and one of the, their founder, Rob Viglione, as well as his wife, Rosario. Together, these two, just in this last year, created Zencash. They uh, wanted to create a currency that uh, had you know better privacy aspects, but then a whole company around the Zencash model, a whole platform for people to have more autonomy in their own data. So we're lucky to have you know Rob and Rosario as as advisors or you know, Zencash's partners. Right now, um, actually, they're going to be on the show on the twenty eighth. Yeah, lucky you. They're amazing. Uh, lucky people. me. I, you know, there's another one. There's a guy named Dorji Sun. Uh, he was in, he's been involved in several different projects. Uh, one called Santiment. Uh, he also has been named uh, Hero of the Environment by Time Magazine, and he's one of our advisors. There's a guy named Majesielowski out of Poland, who's been involved in Bitcoin since 2011. And together, you know, this team has advised us on how to put together our own cryptocurrency that we're using to fund our own project. So ultimately, we have a, a cryptocurrency called Varyon, V-A-R-Y-O-N. It's a play on variation and governance. And that's going to be exclusively used by Blue Frontiers. If somebody wants to buy an island, uh, rent an island from us, you know, lease a unit, register their business in our C-Zone, pay their utilities to Blue Frontiers, they would need to use Varian as the token of our economy. So this is available. People can can buy this. I'm not going to talk deeply about it on your show for you, but people should check it out at Varian.io. This team of, of brilliant crypto people have helped us uh, put together this project. Right on, right on. Mark, what about you? I, I've spent quite a bit of time, uh, like, like Randy mentioned, uh, we had uh, the opportunity to invite our, our advisors at different times uh, to Tahiti, and I was there full time. So uh, whether it was Yuri or, or Dr. Daniel Nagy now, um, what I really appreciate about our advisors and, and Daniel in particular is, is basically that the code, they, they, they live uh, on, on the whole on the code and the transparency and how clean it is and how efficient it is. And out of that comes a sort of ethos that even goes further than just the code is, you know, how, how do you treat the the token holders? Uh, you know, once you start talking about transparency, it, it, it changes your relationship to everything. We also had a chance about uh, several months ago to spend an hour and a half with Vitalik on the phone call. And you can't not be impressed when you hear a guy like that. Yeah, basically some of the questions you were asking, he was asking, and we're going back and forth, and you can see how quickly. And they've got a filter. You know, they're they're looking at society and finance and uh, real, human relationships uh, through through a certain sort of you know what was everybody calling it the truth protocol. So it's really interesting. I mean, philosophically, it's brand new. I mean, disintermediating uh, you know the banks. Who doesn't want to do that? Right on. Yep. Crypto one hundred and one is kind of positioned to be one of the first places people are going to look at when they come into this space. The name says it all. So if this was one of the first podcasts somebody getting into the space was listening to, what advice would you give them, Randy? Wow. Um, if this was the first Crypto 101 podcast they ever listened to, one, they're going to be like, wow, that's a really crazy crypto show. <laughs> um, <laughs> <True>. So um, <laughs> aside from um, 
Hodel, you know, which they hopefully know what that means already. I, I think that the world is moving to crypto. I, I'm bullish on the long term of crypto, but I think people need to also be wise. Until we get to a place where people really start measuring crypto with crypto, and it's not measured against the dollar, don't put all of your life savings in, into crypto. But put enough there to ride the waves and don't watch too closely because it's unnerving. But I think that you know, another few years from now, uh, eventually we're not going to be measuring crypto against the dollar. One of these stable coins is going to come up. People are going to be talking about Varian, just to plug our own crypto, <laughs> uh, as, as, the, as a really important one because it's what people use on Seasteads. You know, I think that we're going to see crypto get easier, right? You know, and, I, and I'm seeing it already. I'm seeing the technologies that have been born in the past few years. And we're at a place now where, uh, you know, people younger than me can adopt it pretty quickly. And I think that the big flipping point will be when people older than me are able to adopt it as quickly. Mark, what, do you, what would you tell them? Here's one takeaway, at least through this new mode of, of funding you're basically aligning your users with the company's objectives and the guys financing and funding you. And that is very different from Wall Street. I mean, it's very different from an investor just saying, hey, I, I like Apple or I like uh, Samsung or whatever, and I'm going to buy it. But it's not the end user. So basically, your end users are really the guys. And it just creates a sense of community that I, it's just blowing me away just with, with our own project. So basically, people are putting their their money, where their where their ambitions are, where their dreams and hopes and aspirations, and it's really very very different from just saying, "Hey, look, I'm I'm buying stock in this and and in that." So the the fact that the community that I find super interesting, and the other thing that struck me and the difference for a startup going the crypto route or the ICO route as opposed to VCs. If I were a young startup company and and looking at both deals on the table, you, you really are going to take a a hard look at this one. And it's not about the fact that there's a bunch of liquidity and a bunch, a lot of people think there's just a stupid money out there and that it's easy. It's, it's not about that. It's just that your access to, to capital is just insanely easier. Right? I, I think Zao talks about 100x. I mean, 100x different. And I think it's coming true. I mean, if you look at the VCs, if they're starting to invest into crypto, that kind of is a big sign. All right, right on, right on. Gentlemen, is there anything else we should touch on on the C-studs? I'll add a few things. One, I just want to. Blue Frontiers is a the only company in the space that's legitimately trying to make Seasteads. There's other people who've had crazy ideas like ours. We've got you know more than a hundred professionals working on the project. Uh, more than uh, you know a million dollars this year behind us. Uh, Two million dollars underneath the Seastead Institute. You know a decade of work behind us. We understand the um, the delicate balance between having a, a crazy dream and what it takes to make that dream practical. So how it is for us to work with the government to find a win-win situation where we can you know have some kind of autonomy, interesting to the residents of Seasteads while still being uh, respectful of the host nation and how we can build the first floating islands in a way that are practical, affordable, sustainable. We're setting up systems or if people are listening to this show and they're like, I never heard of that or I heard of that before, but I didn't know I had a way to get involved. They can be token holders, but beyond being a token holder, they can uh, participate in our teams and part of our global movement. So we have ways for people to, to plug in to the community pretty much today. And, and be actively involved in our community. And whether they want to come live on a Seastead full-time, you know, as soon as we build one or be in our base camp with us next year, or whether they're just thinking far out into the future and they know that, uh, you know, a decade from now, this is an opportunity they wish they could have the, you know, be a part of. We're doing our, what we can to be as inclusive as possible for, for these kind of people. Right on. Mark, you have any final thoughts? Yes, I think I, I just keep coming back to um, the big meeting we had with uh, the government in Tahiti and, and what caught the president's attention. Um, as a politician, especially when you're the leader of your nation, you do have to think of the future for your country. We're not hearing this sufficiently, I think, in, in the West, in Western media. And that's the fact that sea level rise is going to impact 10,000 communities worldwide. Don't think just Miami and Shanghai and New York and small little Pacific islands. There are 10,000 communities out there. And another figure that you're starting to hear slowly, you know, uh, trickle up is this idea that 
it's literally going to be the world's largest uh, construction boom over the next 30 years. So 30 years is not that long. And we're talking, I mean, depending on which experts you speak to anywhere, between 100 to $200 trillion worth of infrastructure. I'm not saying that the only solution is, you know, just make floating infrastructure for, for these cities. But of the four solutions that a, a city or a government has to deal with sea level rise, uh, we're definitely, I believe, the least expensive. I mean, it's less expensive to do this than to move all your population somewhere else. It's just completely, I mean, historically, this never has happened before. I mean, so moving people is not easy. Uh, backfilling uh, the ocean with a bunch of sand and dirt is a really bad idea environmentally, and even the cost is high. And not everybody has money like uh, the Dutch or the city of Venice to build, you know, $6 billion dams and um, huge public works. So I think you're going to see more and more talk about floating infrastructure. I mean, the city, I mean, Singapore is an example. They, they're talking quite a bit about it. You're going to see a movement in the next several years where, you know, people are going to be trying to figure out what to do, you know, when faced with rising seas. And very quickly, we're going to find out you just can't fight. You've got to adapt. Right on, right on, gents. All right, gents. Matthew, if yes, I may, I want to uh, congratulate you on the success of your show. Uh, <laughs> I want to let you know that uh, I think it's, crypto is the future, and I think it's great that you've taken this on to educate people. And I also want to thank you for really giving us the time to have an in-depth conversation. I think that uh, too much media is too much sound bites, and the opportunity to have this long conversation with you to be asked tough questions is really appreciative. So I hope that you learn something more, so I hope your uh, audience learned something. I, I look forward to anybody who uh, is excited about the project, reach out to us. They can find us at uh, blue-frontiers.com. If they want to know more about our cryptocurrency, it's varyon.io, V-A-R-Y-O-N.io. You know, really, congratulations, Matthew, for being a, a great host and doing a good job for the world. Thank you very much for that. I really appreciate that. Good luck with uh, floating cities. Hopefully, you invite me out to the floating cities so I can hold up at your bar, buy a cocktail, and go down to 7-Eleven and get some Doritos. I look forward to having you as a neighbor. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, Jets. We'll talk to you later. Thanks. Good night. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. As always, ApogeeCrypto.com, that's A-P-O-G-E-E, Crypto.com, the best place to check your real-time prices. CryptoNews.com, the best place for your news. And if you need a website, WPOnTheFly.co. And as for June, next episode, we have Zencash, or they're going to rebrand and call themselves Zen, and we're going to learn about their project. We'll see you then. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.